Welcome back. Loading Sports Outlier Session Season 3. We've got a very special returning guest today uh, from Australia and uh, Pacific Northwest, Oregon State Beaver, middle infielder, uh, and top 2024 MLB draft prospect, Travis Bazana. One of the more cerebral guests that we've had on in the past and have a uh, nice arrangement of questions for him to get into. Really excited to converse with him again for the first time in about a year and a half. So um, really looking forward to that. Outlier session season three. Before we get into that, shameless plug to the Loading Sports Performance Lab app. Available now on the iOS app store if you have a compatible iPhone or iPad. Uh, it is the easiest way to measure and track jump performance. You do it directly from your phone or iPad uh, anytime, anywhere. So you don't need to go to a lab. You don't need expensive equipment. It's all markerless. It's as easy as point and shoot uh, like you're recording a video. And we're capturing jump height, ground contact times, flight times, power output, force, peak velocity, um, everything that your center of mass is doing, we're able to capture directly from a phone, uh, which means, you know, you can do your jump testing in your living room, backyard, garage, at the field, at the track, in the gym, in the parking lot, wherever uh, you're bringing the lab, wherever you're going. All right. So uh, it's a performance lab in your pocket. Again, it's as easy as point and click. It was made for parents to use, coaches to use, family members to use. It was made to be easy. The uh, comprehension of the data was meant to be easy on the back end. We're not bogging you down with 300 columns of data points. Um, it's just power RSI and jump height directly in the app. And then, you know, we have our web app as well for the sports scientists that have all those additional metrics that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and then some. So Loden Sports Performance Lab app, again, available starting at $5 a month for the individual user. Have team packages as well. But if you are an athlete that's serious about your development, uh, this is an app that should be on your phone. You should be jumping regularly. And uh, it's, it's just an update. It's a diagnostic. A jump is a diagnostic for any athlete in any sport on uh, where they're at performance-wise because, you know, jump output translates to performance on the field in a number of different ways. So if you are regularly tracking your jumps, you can see if you're getting better in your training. Uh, but you can also see, you know, over the course of a season, if you're regularly track tracking your jumps, you can see if you're fatiguing uh, and see if your routines aren't properly dialed in. So, um, Again, super easy to use. Starts at $5 a month. iOS App Store now. Loading Sports Performance Lab app. I'm done talking. Let's get into this. Uh, let's bring Travis Bazana on here and uh, ask him a whole bunch of questions. Loading Sports Outlier Session Season 3. Back with a returning guest to the show. Uh, we had him on end of summer 2022 as an early part of Season 2. And since then, he has put himself squarely in the conversation to be a top five pick in the upcoming 2024 MLB draft, Travis Bazana, Welcome back. Matt, it's good to be back. Yeah, you get a big old smile on your face. It's yeah. the new year. Big things yeah. coming. Hats on backwards. Might yeah. bring it to the field, might not. You didn't yeah. hear it here. <laughs> um, we got some catch up to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last time we talked, we had a really good conversation. And then ever since then, uh, you've done nothing but get better uh, in every capacity of your game, which 
not a surprise from the last conversation. Um, but before we get going on anything baseball related, uh, you know, what's, what's new house life? Um, wh- where's your head at right now? Yeah. Um, I just came back from Australia, had Christmas and the new year, just kind of holiday time with my family and friends. That was great. So don't get to go back too often and getting back is always nice to catch up with everyone. Um, and just sort of, yeah, reset and sort of see, see everything from a different perspective for a little part of the year kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it was a good time, but I'm doing well and just really itching to get, get this season going. I'm excited about the team we've got and I just want the season to kick off already. Now I'm back. Yeah, I know we just talked about it a little bit, but it's always nice to catch, you know, a week and a half of summer in the middle of winter. Um, and uh, on the on the topic of summer, that's where we're going to start with this this quick handful of questions. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your time like up in Falmouth? Did you enjoy it? Did you try anything new? Did anything surprise you? Differences between the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast and Cape Cod? You know, just kind of break all it down from more of like a cultural perspective than a baseball perspective. <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely tried a couple more seafood options than I have had on the west coast of the U.S. So a lot of lobster, a lot of clams and things of that sort, which was interesting and sometimes enjoyable, sometimes questionable. But uh, for the most part, loved it. And then I was excited to be sort of back to beach, beach weather and um, a nice kind of water environment, if that makes sense, on the water yeah. environment. Um and uh yeah it was great and on that front and then just the sort of the culture of of playing every day and all the fans and locals coming out to watch and stuff was a really cool experience and a little bit different um and i just yeah i'm super happy i went out and did that yeah it's a little slice of americana you know um i think you can go to some cities in the united states and get a very commercialized experience and then you know going to the Cape Cod in the summer, being part of the Cape Cod Baseball League, I think it, it kind of takes you back in time a little bit. Um, yep. I, I think it's a pretty good representation of uh, how things used to be, maybe. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of a time capsule. But I got to ask you on the seafood front, uh, you said some were enjoyable, some not so much. What did you like? What did you not like? Yeah, I liked warm lobster rolls. Didn't mind cold lobster rolls. But then some of the clam stuff, like I think I had fried – like this fried clams with some other little fried seafood seafood it sort of looked like kind of popcorn. Um, I didn't really enjoy it. So we had aftertaste, but, uh, that's the ones I remember off the top of my head. But I just know that sometimes I loved it. And sometimes I was like, yeah, no, I wouldn't really go out of my way to buy that again. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the fried whole belly clams, I, I don't know if that's what you're referencing, but it, you yeah, get the whole belly is. of the clam. Uh-huh. And if they don't purge the clams properly, then you get some sand in there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, you know, not the most pleasant experience, but it's definitely like a, you're either into it or you're not into it kind of food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's cool that you went out there and you tried all that. I'm a cold lobster roll guy myself, but yeah, um, that I know, I think a lot of people lean more towards the hot, hot lobster roll, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. Let's talk a little bit about the baseball up there. Uh, in your opinion, who was the best army faced in the past year? Uh, I guess it could include the Cape or it could include your season. Damn. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let me think back to the season. 
All right. I, I'm going to give you a couple answers. In the season, like, really, Ty Floyd and Thatcher Hurd stood out um, in terms of the stuff they brought uh, in the season. And then in the summer, the name the name that just keeps coming to my head is, like, the guy that I was like, wow, like, he's dominating our guys. I feel like it's a tough at bat. Even when I was hot, I was like, "This, this is a tough at bat." Um, was Kate Obermuller from Iowa? Um, okay. Like just left, lefty, low release, whipping, low nineties, touching mid nineties, slider that's just straight horizontal, so you miss under it, not over it, um, and just sort of electric. So, I'd say he was he was different. It's just that outlier approach and um, approach angle. And yeah, in the Cape, that's the guy I like to recall. Being like, wow. Um, but yeah, I, I think Ty Floyd, Thatcher Hurd, Kato, Mueller, the guys that come to my head. It's kind of funny that you mentioned another Iowa guy. Cause they got Brody Breck who might have the best stuff in the entire draft. They got a mm-hmm. guy, Marcus Morgan. Uh, yeah, might start this year. I'm not sure, but he's kind mm-hmm. of like a freaky athlete, touch high 90s, and then you got this lefty that you're talking about, Obermuller. I think electric yeah. is a really good word to describe the Iowa pitching staff, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure I'd want to run into them this year. Yeah, <laughs> they might. They truly might be at Omaha. If, if I was picking an Omaha eight, I, I think they might be a real good shot with the guys they got. Yeah, I would not want to roll into them uh, in a super regional. That's for sure. Okay. No. Um, all right. So we talked about pitching. Who was the best position player you played with or against on the Cape last summer? Pure hit. Pure hit. Derek Bender or Kyle DeBage. Yeah. And then position players as a whole, I have to add Cam Smith and James Tibbs. Um, Florida State love there. Yeah, I think they're pretty nasty. Um, I know I'm forgetting someone that I really think is legit, but those are those are the guys that came to my head. Uh, yeah, and then like in the season, if we go back before the Cape, I think we're talking about the Cape, but like Dylan Cruz stood out when we played against him. Like it was just like this guy's real. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to get your take on that because I know that you're you're a baseball mind in a way that a lot of guys aren't a baseball mind. You're almost you know looking at things through like a scouting lens to an extent, kind of cutting your teeth a little bit that way. So it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, from players' perspective. You know, oftentimes the mm-hmm. players know. You know, the players know who the guys mm-hmm. are, and um, mm-hmm. it, it can be a field thing. So I, I guess that makes sense why a lot of former players end up being scouts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, next up, I do want to talk about uh, the biggest player on the planet and his decision to sign with the Dodgers and what your thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I don't know. I kind of see it from like, if there's a place, if there's a place for the, the most powerful name in baseball at the moment and possibly could be the greatest player of all time, in my opinion, um, as this moves forward, um, for him not to go to a place like the LA Dodgers or the New York Yankees, um, I thought I thought it was kind of bound to happen somewhere really big with 
the ability to make himself a worldwide brand forever. And I think 700 million pays for more than just a pitcher and a hitter or just a hitter for now. Um, it's sort of like a lasting legacy. He has the ability to make people wear Bulls jerseys because of Jordan to this day. Like he's not Michael Jordan, but like the I think people might wear Otani jerseys for a long time. People wear Barry Bonds jerseys today. So like, um, yeah, I I think it would, it yeah. might take going to Japan to and walking around Japan to see how many Otani jerseys are right. But yep. I think to your point, you know the the city fit, you know the the you know specifically the Dodgers. Yep. Um, I mean, it kind of cements that you know we're going to see the greatest player of this generation in contention for a World Series in any given year because the Dodgers yep. are going to do what they have to do to build a roster around it. I mean, they already have a juggernaut of a roster, but even as things progress, Freddie Freeman ages out, whatever, you know, the Dodgers have shown over the past 10, 15 years that, you know, they just next man up, next superstar yep. up. And no doubt. That's, what the, that's what the sport needs. They need, yep. they need to see Otani in the postseason every year. Yep. I think it's, it's going to be amazing. Like just watching back on like Otani striking out trout, final out of the world baseball classic like for me that was so electric because it's like i've been to japan obviously i can't i'm not japanese but like just knowing how, how much they care about the sport and seeing like they're great who's also like just a great for all of us witnessing it here in the u.s or all around the world kind of strike out the other greatest player of our generation um to finish a world baseball classic was sort of like crazy to me it still kind of gives me chills so um seeing that and then Thinking like ahead, Otani in the postseason doing things like that is just going to be so special. Um, so I can't wait, and I think it's good for the game. Seven hundred million is a lot of money, but like I'm not looking that deep into it. I guess. Yeah, you might not face him in a World Baseball Classic, uh, but you know, not not a, not as a pitcher, but someday you might see like a rookie yeah. Suzuki and Otani. Yeah, I almost. You know what's interesting is I almost faced uh, Rocky Sasaki. In 2019 in Korea, we actually faced off against Japan in the 18U World Cup, and we faced their their number two. I don't know if he was their number two. We I think we faced a guy called Okugawa, who was the number two to Sasaki at that point in high school. Um, but yeah, Sasaki didn't pitch against us, but he was kind of around and just had media following him everywhere from super young age. So. It would be cool if I got to face him one day, but I think that might be bound to happen. Hopefully next World Baseball Classic. Yeah, hopefully the next one. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to ask you this one, and you can go outside the box a little bit. Uh, I'm going to just use the generic term baseball here. So the MLB, it could be outside MLB, but who's the most exciting young team in baseball, in your opinion? Wow. Damn. Put you on the spot. Mm. I think could be the Orioles right now. For me, I think when Jackson moves and with Adley doing what he does, um, Gunnar Henderson, Colton Calza, um, Brian Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, like just there's not much like there's just a lot of good youngish or really young players. Um Rodriguez, Grayson Rodriguez, the right-handed yep. starter. He's obviously been a big deal for a while. Um, Jordan I think, yeah, Jordan Westberg. Heston Kirsten. Again, I'm missing guys, 
Yeah. Um, and they're all pretty legit. So I think they're exciting to me and especially having a beef kind of lead sort of, I think being a leader on that team um, and helping that staff, that makes it even that little bit more cooler for me seeing that team. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's the team that comes to my head the most probably. I was going to pick the Oregon state Beavers, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know I didn't, I, I like part of me, you asked the question. I was like, Maybe I just be like, yeah, the Beavers are pretty good, but uh, I was like, that's kind of kind of a boring answer. But yeah, watch out for the Beavers this year. Yeah, no, honestly, when when I I wrote the question, I was thinking MLB, but you know, I figured, yeah, I, I would yeah. leave the door open there if you wanted to. But um, yeah, I hear you. the three teams that popped into my head were Baltimore, uh, Cincinnati. There's a lot of young, exciting players on yep. Cincinnati, and then no doubt, you know, obviously the the World Series runner-ups uh, with Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, and Jordan Waller, and Gabby Wyatt Moreno. Langford. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, oh, you want to go? We go Texas. All right. I could see it. Yeah. Texas won. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm like blanking. And you, you said World Series. My mind thought Rangers. Um, oh, yeah. Langford, yeah. Josh Young. Yeah. I mean, they got young guys too. <laughs> if we're talking about players, like, oh my gosh, Corbin is like my, if there's one player I want to be like, it's Corbin, like right now. Um, so that's, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, you're going to be Corbin on the dirt. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, have you enjoyed any good movies lately? I know you just had some long plane rides. Damn. Not that I can think of the top of my head. Let me – maybe we could yeah, come back to it. Hard movies these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know what I did watch? Um, not a movie, but it's the thing. I had lately i watched i think it's called champions of the world or something it was like a little documentary piece on um the world cup the soccer world cup fifa world cup um, with all the like best players in the world um i don't know i thought that's cool i just like witnessing great things and like seeing messi and ronaldo and all that like close up doing that thing i thought was cool are you a reader i do read yeah have you uh, i'm assuming the answer is no because there's a million books <laughs> so if i say hey have you read this book and it's not like a new york times bestseller there's a good chance you haven't read it but uh mm. i am zlatan it's about zlatan, I'm zlatan. no i haven't read i am zlatan but zlatan used to be fit. one of my favorite athletes going out it's funny. yeah i'm gonna hook you up with that because it's it's a really good read and you know there's obviously great stories in there because it's zlatan but he does get back into his his early days in Malmo, sweden and how he grew up and all that and i think you probably find it really fascinating if you're sure i'd love that uh-huh um yeah and a movie wreck for you uh it's been hard to find good movies lately just because i don't mm -hmm. think there's like an abundance of good movies but uh the way back and yeah. it's about a group of prisoners at a gulag in siberia during world war ii and they escape on foot and they travel over four thousand miles to india and it's roughly based on a true story it's you said the way the way back the way back the way back all right i'll have to check it out yep Really good, really good film right there. Um, last question here, and then we're going to get into smell tad stuff, which mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Um, yep. But what was your kindergarten teacher like? You know what? I like don't remember. Can like I can I can recall my sort of like fourth to fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth grade teachers like really well. But for some reason, I honestly don't have much recollection of my kindergarten teacher. 
So, no, I wish I could answer the question. I could, I could probably make something up, but yeah. Yeah, you moved out that recollection for the scouting report on Ty Floyd last spring. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's it, the reason why I ask is I wrote a book recently, uh, and a lot of people uh, have heard me talk about this way too much. So if mm-hmm. you're listening and you've already heard me talk about this, you can just mute for the next mm-hmm. 30 seconds. But uh, Hidden Potential by Adam Grant, really good book. And right in the beginning, <laughs> what? I'm actually reading that right now. Like, like that, is, that uh, not, not too far, probably like, 70 pages i've been reading since like last week i got it over christmas when i was home yeah fantastic book but i yeah i'm like only just into it that's actually crazy that's the book i'm reading right now yeah yeah adam grant's my favorite author uh shout out wow. to Adam grant have you read think again yep yeah i read think again not too long ago as well think again originals and then give and take was the first one i read by him that's awesome yeah i, yeah, I recommend all four so Sorry, um, I kind of cut you off there, but I just I thought that was. No, you good. Uh, I saw your face, and you were like, um, <laughs> "No, I love it." I I actually uh, I just gifted hidden potential like two or three times over the holiday, uh, just because mm-hmm. I read it, and I was like, "Man, mm-hmm. Adam Grant, always gold." Um, but yeah, in there at the beginning, he talks a little bit about like uh, a study that was done um, on kindergarten teachers, and then like later earnings, and that's why I'm asking you. Just got um, it. No, my, I, I literally read that and, um, that's wild. Yeah. They kind of, you know, whether it's kindergarten teacher or say it's first grade, somewhere in that pocket, it's like, they kind of set your course for, you Mm -hmm. know, based on how they shape their classroom and all that for, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of how you go about your business as you progress through grade school. So yeah, uh, I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. LTAD, you know, the drill. Uh, we love to talk about long-term athlete development. I know you love to talk about long-term athlete development. Um, so we're going to hit you with a few different questions and it's, we're going to start with uh, gratitude, three things you're grateful for. And then we're going to ask a couple new LTAD questions that we don't usually ask because it's your second time on. And uh, let's talk about something else LTAD related. So um, emotional well-being, gratitude, something that's really important, something that we do every single day is, three new things that you're grateful for. Uh, I'm going to let you go first and then I'll go and I'll keep it rolling. Trav, three things you're grateful for today. What do you got? Uh, I'm grateful for the stuff at Oregon state. Kind of a, could say like, I'm just saying it to say that they're stoked that I said it, but um, truly like just super honest and accountable relationship with those guys. And uh, they push me to be better every day. And, continue to help me just grow in the last it's a lot ah, aspects of life uh, more than just the baseball field. So I'm grateful for being here and being with those coaches and stuff day in, day out. Um, I'm grateful for doing a salt bike this morning in our, in our uh, workout. We've never really done that. We kind of stick to the explosive stuff, but we hit a little speed assault bike workout and, uh, definitely reached a new point of wrecking me a little bit. So, yeah, um, the boys were pretty chuffed this morning, but uh, it's good. Hopefully, we can go out and have a good practice today. So, that's why you, um, got, your, that's why you got your Tour de France backwards hat on right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, hmm, grateful, grateful, grateful. Um, Grateful for 
yeah, family time, being able to get home back to Australia. I think it was, yeah, I'm just grateful for my, my family and how, how they're always striving to be better and just being kind and loving and, yeah, it's it's yeah. nice that you got the means to get back to Australia over the holiday. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that that's something that for me, like I drove to North Carolina for Christmas and I was able to get back to Massachusetts for um Thanksgiving. And it's just it's nice that I have the means to be able to go see family when I want to go see family. So I think yeah. that you know it's it's really nice for you, especially because they're all the way across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, mm-hmm. to be able to do that, especially in the middle of the school year. Yep. So uh, yeah, for me, number one today, a recipe that has some wiggle room, you know, like there's some recipes out there that it's like, if you're not like nailing it down to the second, then it's like, ah, oh, man, you ruined the recipe. Right. But it's mm-hmm. kind of nice where it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's going to be approximately ready at some point in the next two to three minutes. And it's kind of like a feel thing. Do you want it a little bit more done, but it doesn't really like make or break, you mm-hmm. know, the end result. So appreciate a recipe that has some wiggle room. Uh, living in a place with relatively normal day night schedules. Um, yeah, it, I, I know a bunch of people that complain about, you know, it gets dark in the winter early and, uh, I've, I've been there too, you know, four thirty, sun goes down. Um, but it's not Alaska where they have 20 hours of night sometimes a year and 20 hours a yeah. day sometimes a year. I don't know yeah. if I'd be able to handle that. No, that that's crazy to me. Yeah. And then the last one is that writing, the practice of writing, typing, whatever, isn't a chore for me. Uh, It's something I enjoy to do. um, And it helps, you know, to write things down, list notes, thoughts, blogging, whatever it might be. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, they really struggle with, you know, writing and the the task of writing. So uh, just grateful that that's not a struggle for me. So, Mm -hmm. um, Second LTAD related question and kind of start getting into some, some good stuff here is going to be about routines and efficiency. Okay. Uh, there's a couple layers to this. We all play with the same 24 hours every single day. Um, you're a student athlete, you're preparing for the MLB draft. Um, I'm sure you've got a number of different interests. You know, you're a college student. Uh, how do you organize your 24 hours? Uh, what do you have time for? How do you block it out? Um, yeah just kind of break it down like a, a normal day. Yeah. So I actually started using a structure in my calendar, like schedule Google calendar. Um, that's sort of like I put in the things that are in my week and then I build my ideal like schedule around that. And so I kind of understand where my free blocks of time are and where things I need to get done or really would love to get done looking back on a week. So I've built like a schedule for now my new class term and I kind of just stick with it. And I like being really routinely and I have blocks of free time um, throughout, but main thing is just, I think the start of the day is really important. So like getting to bed for me, being on, on time with my sleep schedule, just being in bed asleep, waking up similar times every day really helps get the day started properly. Um, versus being thrown off with that. So I think consistent sleep schedule helps me stay on top of the schedule. And then, yeah, I kind of just see what I got for the day the night before the morning of and um, and go after it. But, yeah, the day is just get up, lift, go to class, have breakfast, go to class, 
head to the field early work, um, practice, and then usually at the moment, like I might have um, some event, volunteering event, um, maybe some tutoring or uh, some media later in the afternoon usually. Um, and yeah, that's sort of my day and I just go and do it and try to eat good in between all of it and um, just be the best person I can be. Yeah, make some time to kick your feet up, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you. You can add a 25th hour to the day, um, and you can spend it doing anything except what you already do within your 24 hours. How would you spend it? There's a little bit of like a – if there's something that you could do in your life that you're not currently doing that you can make time for and do it, what would it be, right? Like a new hobby or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I could give you something that I like try to do, but I just, when I get busy, I don't get the time really. Um, there's, there's sort of two things I think I'd do with that final hour is like go either go to a Spanish speaking class or lesson, um, or go, go to go hang out with people that speak fluent and just try to speak. Um, and, just like do that for 30 minutes and then maybe the other 30 minutes learn how to play, play the guitar a little better, go to a lesson with that, learn some chords. Cause I don't really play an instrument. I have a guitar, want to be able to do it, but I just struggle finding time for it at the moment. It's like, because I'm such a beginner, like obviously a, using a guitar can be a kick your feet up thing and just play it if you know how to play it. But yep. being someone that has no experience, I'm in a stage where it actually takes a lot of effort to like do it properly. And so I get home after a long day or whatever, whatever, I kind of want to just kick my feet up or read or just chill. And then I, I'm like, I should play the guitar, but I can't get it out of myself. Cause I'm like, it's like a lot of effort fit finding. I got my big fingers like catching on different strings and stuff. And anyway, I think I'd do 30 minutes of Spanish, 30 minutes of guitar. Yeah, there you go. There's some uh, undertones of hidden potential by Adam Grant. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting about the guitar. Uh, how long have you been playing for? I haven't been playing. I, I've been. I got it for my birthday last year for my family. Um, so I guess you could say like four or five months. But well, once really, that school gets out of the way, it's going to accelerate. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be good once I don't have as much class or anything. And I just yeah, there's some good free resources out there. Uh, I'll send your way. I've been playing since I was, you know, 12 years old or whatever it was. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll send it to your, send it your way. And obviously you're not going to look at it because you don't have a 25th hour right now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And then last one here in regards to something that's, you know, your routine and um, efficiency, I guess would be a, a good thing to file this under. And mm -hmm. you only have 24 hours is how disciplined are you with the affliction of every person under the age of 30 screen time screen time um i'd say i'm pretty disciplined compared to my peers i actually i don't have social media downloaded on my phone for like I have it downloaded for like probably one hour every two days kind of thing. So like I'll, I won't have any of like the like Instagram X, Snapchat, whatever. Um, 
they are kind of only downloaded just to check like oh what's the group message saying or what's um like who who messaged me on instagram that might be something i need to check um so i i'm pretty good with that and then i'll spend time like i'll enjoy watching youtube uh youtube of like just different things i'm interested in whether that's golf or book reviews or something like that right or just ba- or just baseball swing highlights something like that um so i'll spend my screen time watching watching videos but really like i i feel like i keep it pretty low key for the most part and i have those things not downloaded i don't have them downloaded just because i feel like it gives me the opportunity to just like mindlessly scroll whereas like now using those apps for me is like intentional like i'll download it it's like i have an intention like all right check the messages okay delete it now again um just because anyone can just get caught up in that mindless scroll and i i actually like the first time i ever deleted these things was i deleted tiktok in like my junior year of high school because i had big exams and i was like all right i'm just wasting time on this i should i should be studying and so i haven't actually had tiktok since then so people like hey did you see this tiktoker i'm like i have no idea so yeah i appreciate that i mean it's very it's very intentional uh yeah how you go about your business with your screen time i can tell you that i've had periods Mm -hmm. of time where i've deleted social media off my phone and it's kind of funny for like the next like day or two after you do that after having it on your phone for a while you find yourself reaching for your phone opening up your phone scrolling through it's not there putting your phone back in your pocket not doing anything with your phone yeah um and it's yeah i mean it's something that i've specifically since the new year started i've tried to kind of get myself back on track with it's just you know at the end of the week you sit there and it's like oh what was your screen time like you averaged x amount of hours a day and you're like (laughs) you know that's kind of the genesis of the question what do you do how you block out your 24 hours because there's there really isn't a whole lot of room um you know for someone such as yourself to sit there and scroll for hour and a half two hours um yeah so i i, I like that you kind of remove the temptation and just don't have them on your phone mm-hmm. um okay last one ltad related i want to talk about exploration and creativity this is this is one that's near and dear to my heart uh there was a time when kids spent a lot of time outside playing in the neighborhood playing in the backyard um playing in a park whatever that might be unstructured play environments um, kids made the rules, which allowed for a lot of creativity. I mean, you know, you probably had the experience at some point, tennis ball, baseball, or, um, you know, you, you turn four square into nine square and you do all kinds of crazy stuff. Right. Um, now at least here in the United States, I don't want to make any assumptions about Australia, but a lot of that time has spent, has, has kind of been converted to spending playing video games and on the phone, you know, TikTok is you mm-hmm. know part of that. Um, and as a result, a lot of youth baseball players specifically from what I've observed, uh, they can be too robotic and they haven't really had the benefit of free play, but yet you turn on the TV and you watch Patrick Mahomes and he's making all these different, really creative plays on the field. Uh, you watch Steph Curry, the way that he, you know, warms up is, you know, not monotonous. It's not robotic. And he, he does some pretty special things from some special angles. Uh, it's a lot of stuff that's that's very off script and it's born of free, unstructured play, exploration, creativity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's kind of part of the magic of sports. I want to ask you to kind of reflect on your experience growing up a little bit 
And first off, um, what were some of your earliest memories in a free play environment back in Australia? Yeah, this question is so awesome because I have often found myself thinking about like, wow, I had so much free play out in the park, all different sports, all different levels of competitiveness, just all the time. Like it was so constant. Um, yeah. Wow. Like I remember that my mind goes to a couple things like being out with the kids in my street, doing bike races, scooter races, building bike ramps, um, racing down hills. Uh, and then I think to like my closest friends when I was really young, it was a, uh, triplets from South Africa with that played the same sports as me, except baseball. They played rugby and cricket and I played rugby and cricket when I was young and they were just so competitive, like just as competitive as me. And there was three of them, one of me. And so we could always have two on two games or something or like, there was always other people that joined us, but we'd go to the local field, play rugby in the mud, touch rugby, just tackling each other, like competing. And then we'd play cricket and just like argue about calls and rules and make up different rules to stop the kid Stuart. He was kind of the best player and he would always get on everyone's nerves and we'd stop Stuart with different rules. And, um, we ended up playing basketball as I got into high school. We'd go to the same field and it was basketball hoop. We'd go there and just go there. Time, you wouldn't even think about time, just grind, just play um, so much. I'd go to my high school friends. We'd go to the like local soccer field and just have free kick competitions, crossbar challenges. Um, like I did so much of that. It's not even, it's absurd. I could go to so many examples. Yeah, I feel like we're we're fortunate if you like zoom out into like the the timeline of all time. Mm-hmm. We kind of like we grew up. I mean, you're a little bit younger than me. I'm I'm 30, but mm-hmm. like right on the cusp of like when free play started to kind of evaporate. And when you think about how like big that is over the the span of time, and it's like it just happened to be like right at that moment. How lucky we were. Thing number four today on on gratitude. Uh, I was being able to grow up in a time when free play was a thing, right? I remember uh, I got my license in high school and I got a YMCA membership. Mm -hmm. I go Saturday morning at like 9, 10 a.m., whatever. I get my lift in. You know, I tell my mom like, oh, I'll be home this afternoon. I roll in at like 530. She'd be like, where were you all day? And I was like, I lifted and then I was just in the gym and we played basketball until 530. And sometimes it was like half court. Sometimes it was like the abbreviated full court three on three, four on four. Sometimes it was five on five, depending on how many people were in the gym. Like mm-hmm. there are so many different ways to like entertain yourself and you just kind of get sucked into it. And it's like, it's just, I don't know. It, it's just a very like free, I mean, I know it's called free play, but it's like, it's such a good feeling because there's nobody sitting there like judging you or, you know, telling you what's right or wrong. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like go out there and, you know, you're at your freest, I guess. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, shout out to Stuart. Um, sorry about all those rules that they had to make to to cut you down, but <laughs> yeah, Stuart's been looking for a shout out. Sorry when I was home. So yeah. hopefully <laughs> he sees <goes>. this. <laughs> all right, so um, I, I'm going to ask the question. And I, I know I alluded to it, you know, before we got into this, but has Australia seen kind of a similar move towards more screen time and less free play in the youth? 
definitely. Yeah. I, again, I don't know numbers. I don't know comparisons, but I know that that's just a thing worldwide. Bunch of iPad kids now. Um, it was funny. I was, I was with Jimmy Nata, my best, best friend goes to Stanford, um, plays baseball. And we were back in Australia and we're at the park, just like having lunch, just talking. And, uh, this kid was like having an argument with his dad because his dad's like, give me your iPad. It's going in the car. Like you were at the park, like go play. Um, and he just was like super upset and he had headphones on and an iPad and they were going for a walk at the park and he was just head down. And I was amazed. I was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Little, and then it feels a little dystopian, doesn't it? Yeah. And then once he got his iPad taken, he just sat there and looked into like the distance it was like his world just like, like left him. It was wild. Out of him. <laughs> yeah. No, it was honestly something out of a movie. But yeah, it's definitely different. All right. So now you're in a much more structured environment. You're at Oregon State. Um, you know, everything is very deliberate in terms of how you train. Uh, do you still find ways to inject creativity and exploration into your training? And if so, how do you do that? Yeah, I think that. First thing that comes to mind is probably like extra hitting because our hitting work like with the team generally stays pretty standard. Um, and then in extra hitting, I, I really like to change environments and make it much more challenging. So a lot of like offside angle stuff or um, breaking balls or I've even messed around like last year, I messed around with a certain pair of goggles that like would take away eyesight for a little bit. And, and I don't know like how much, how much training, like how much positive adaptations I would get from something like that. But again, it created a new environment, created a new like excitement or stimulus to like basic training, um, just testing vision. And then, yeah, just like just making the environment different. And then like, we'll finish. If I hit with my roommates, we finish with, you got 10 swings this round and most barrels wins and everyone like locks in and whoever squares up the most balls and good launch, like gets, gets kind of the bragging rights for that next car ride home. And, um, it's good. So I think challenging teammates in training environments and then also just like making things different and not just hitting straight arm batting practice every day. Uh, and then on the defensive side, it's like probably a little less creativity, but, um, still even, even sometimes I'll be like, I'm just taking thousands of the same rep. I need to like face the outfield and then turn and react to where the ball is. Um, things like that just to switch it up. But yeah, I definitely inject some creativity and challenge. Yeah. You got to go get on Brandon Crawford's level. I don't know if you've seen that, that highlight video. <laughs> oh yeah. No, he's uh special. Yeah. But uh, no, I love the idea of gamifying uh, batting practice and, and competing for barrels at the end. Um, I think it's brilliant because I think that's super easy to do and most people don't do it. Um, but yeah, really cool stuff. I want to shift gears here and I want to talk about baseball a little bit. There's students of the game and then there's you. You're a little bit of like a hybrid student teacher um, from what I've been hearing. And we can all read a stat line, see the year over year improvement, but I kind of want to get a little bit deeper into, you know, the different variables that kind of go into that and, and kind of peek under the hood a little bit. So if you're willing to share, uh, I've got a handful of questions here uh, that I think will provide a lot of insight into the year over year improvement. 
you know, not just from a stat line standpoint, but, you know, power, speed, ability to hit, walk, the whole nine. Um, it's been great to see. It's great to see if you go on baseball reference. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, kind of some of the things that have gone into that. So first off, and I alluded to it earlier, um, here you got scouting reports. Uh, Pac-12 pitchers, how many, when did this start? And I'm assuming you share with your teammates. Yeah. Um, this personal sort of adventure for it, I think, started my sophomore year, so last last year. Um, I would go on Synergy and 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 shout out my people. I had a true media login, and I would kind of start to give the boys some ideas of who we were going to see um, and what their stuff was doing. But um, lucky enough, I have some people in my circle that could also help with those scouting reports. So I was big on, hey, like, asking for certain guys, certain pitches from different teams and um, asking for more in-depth reports that I couldn't access later in the season um, and and actually providing them to the team. We have scouting reports here at Oregon State, but that was just it's just a different look and I was able to kind of get my own insight before we went into the series and, um, and talked about it with our hitting coach. Uh, so yeah, some of it was me um, writing up my own stuff and a lot of it was me having some people that could help me get the information and then I would um, send it through to the team group chat, the, 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 the team group chat and talk and kind of just summarize everything I had. Um, yeah. For the guy. So it'd be like, Hey, we're facing this guy on Friday. He does this. This is what he's going to attack you with lefties. This is where he's good. This is where he's bad. Varieties. This is where he's good, where he's bad sort of thing. Um, and then we'd go into the Friday and we'd also talk about it with our hitting coach and whatever. Um, and again, like sometimes, sometimes I had to pull it back cause it felt like I was stepping on toes and um, I'm lucky enough that I have a, a quality relationship with the coaching staff and they are pretty understanding of like when I provide information, I'm not just going to like ruin guys, like get them all domed up and stuff. I'm not trying to do that, but Again, I, sometimes it's not my place. Sometimes it is, and I just want to give us the edge to win. Right, and and I think you bring something up interesting there, which is kind of you know information. How much information? Uh, when you receive the information, these are all kind of that's like the art of you know the sharing of information is like how you communicate it, when you communicate it, how it's potentially applied. Because I think that's. I don't want to say like a damaging thing, but I think at levels of the game where people are sharing information in a much less professional way, you know, you could potentially get, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old athletes head swimming because you're sharing so much information and it's things that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they don't even fully understand, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's, you know, one of those things that prevents someone playing free and easy, but um, it sounds like you've got the right environment around you to be able to share that information. You're thoughtful about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Report, so no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, how's your report writing? Is it getting better? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm a good summarizer. Yeah, there you go. But yeah. All right. Uh, when we last spoke, it was August, 2022. You had just spent the summer training at driveline. Uh, what you didn't share at that point was that you were up late in a different lab, uh, working on a hitting presentation as well as a pitching presentation um 50 slides to be shared with your teammates a month later 
after we spoke in September 2022. Talk about this player dev seminar um, you put on the reception from your teammates, where the idea came from. Uh, hit us. Yeah. Um, I, from what I understand, I had a conversation with Skip Mitch Canham uh, on a flight somewhere around the end of the season regionals or something like that. Maybe super regionals. Oh, we didn't even fly that year. So it was anyway, flight near the end of the season, um, sort of around the time where, or just before, just after the time where I said, Hey, I want to go to driveline and not to the Cape. Um, I want to train this summer and I'll go next year. And anyway, we were having a deep combo, deep combo about all that stuff. And he mentioned like this idea. I think he was reading something about like, he wanted players to present to players and players to teach players um, because he felt like that would build people's trust and spark conversation about different things. Cause sometimes when you just hear it from coach, hear it from coach, like it's just different. Um, and so just knowing your teammates care, knowing your teammates want you and them to be better, I think it's valuable. And he was preaching how valuable he thinks that is to me. And I said, look, like I, I have some things I'm super interested in, and I'm currently like diving really deep into, could I present in the fall as soon as we get back next year? And he's like, yes, I'd love that. And then sort of as I'm, I built the kind of outlines for what I wanted in those presentations. Um, and then as the summer went on, I would just like get this new spark of information or whatever, whatever, and just start plugging things in. And then right before the fall, I made it look a little prettier. And then I sort of just went out and spoke from my, my heart and my head um, and didn't really have like a script or anything, but I, yeah, did a, a presentation on sort of like the three, the three parts that make up hitting um, and what our offensive approach or what, like what, what does a beef offense look like and how great can we be this year kind of thing. And that was based on um, swing decisions, bat speed and, and, and barrel control. And then, um i did a couple pitches presentations one was on pitch usage one was on breaking ball shapes one was on fastball shapes and then yeah um i again i went through the stuff showed them it for like presented it to them first um just to make sure that they thought that it was okay for me to present to the team and that they liked what i was sharing and they were totally cool with it um and then i just went and did it and it was sort of long-winded for some of the hitters listening to the pitching stuff or the pitchers listening to the hitting stuff because I did it all in one run. Um, but it was really awesome. I just felt like – so we, ha we have a track man. We have some of this stuff, and we have blast motion or whatever. We have, we have data, but I felt like there was room for improvement in how we used that and how people understood it because a lot of the guys would be using this stuff or seeing it but really didn't understand it. Uh, and so – I was really passionate about sharing more about that stuff with guys because we had kids looking at TrackMan reports with the IBB release height, horizontal break, whatever, but they don't actually know what they're looking for. And we're five months out from the season and they're working on a pitch, but they don't know if it's getting worse or better, truly. And I wanted to share that. Um, and then on the hitting side, uh, I think the biggest takeaway from the hitting presentation was like, the power of building your athletic and power motor and your bat speed to where missed hits are, 
become more successful. Like you, if you're, if you're a low, low power engine guy with no bat speed, you miss balls. You don't get hits. You don't slug, but like the best guys in the game miss hit balls and they go out or they hit the wall. And like, that's the power of speed. And then the, the, the part that was the biggest takeaway, I, I kind of just threw the bat speed part in there, but like was the, the approach and the power of takes and like the detriment of swinging out of the zone. I kind of made it our team, our team slogan last year. And it's going to continue as a swing less, win more. Um, some people won't like that. They sort of hear it and it's like, Oh, it's very passive, very passive, like swing less. What were you talking about? But when you really kind of dive into it or talk to me about, it, it's more about understanding where you can damage um, or create damage offensively with your swings and understanding that swings have got to be valuable and like swinging just to swing is not like valuable. You have to know where you can damage pitches, hit fastball strikes um, and, and then take the other stuff. Cause at the end of the day, like swinging out of the zone or swinging at pitches, you can't really do much with is not valuable over a long period of time or a full season or whenever. And sort of just show them the power of a walk and and how chase can be detrimental and i think it really paid off we didn't have as much talent as my freshman year last year offensively but we scored more runs per game led the conference in walks probably one of the lowest chase rates in the country maybe the lowest um, as a team and it really paid off in terms of just yeah offensive production so that was some of that and then (laughs) funnily enough this year i did another presentation but um, I, I felt the need, I wanted to do it on like lifestyle habits and, and, and uh, just like how we carry ourselves as like, what, what do champions look like? What do champions do? So it was more about like sleep, eating, um, sleep, eating, gratitude, and all of those things. I actually did a presentation this fall and that went really, really well. So, um, it's kind of a little passion and I'm getting better at speaking in front of people and, uh, I just want to win really bad. Oh, I love it. I love the uh, the culture and the environment. And so that's another LTAD principle, uh, you know, that we have is is creating environments. It sounds like the coaching staff there has created a really open minded environment. Yeah. Um, you know, not a lot of ego there. And, and yeah, I think there's a ton of value in, you know, peer to peer learning experience and sharing of information. And um, I think all that's, you know, really neat. And, you know, on the, on the topic of, you know, swing less, win more. Um, yeah, I think anybody who sees the game at the, the higher levels, whether it's minor league baseball or, or division one baseball knows that, you know, with an uptick in stuff, we've also seen an uptick in more balls. Um, so, you know, swing less and being a little bit more selective on what you swing at, probably not a bad approach. You know, mm-hmm. there's no one singular universal approach that every hitter uses. Um, but you know, in your case, if it's, you know, swing less, win more. And it's, and it's working for your team. Like, you know, that's an approach and it works for you guys. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it might not be for everybody, but I think, you know, you did a good job of acknowledging that up front. So um, yeah, I, we're, we're just going to keep this thing rolling because, you know, yeah. uh, got some questions about the Cape, go back to the mm-hmm. Cape. Um, they do a really nice job with producing content on the players throughout the summer. Um, and much like it's a proven ground for players such as yourself, it's a proven ground also for college kids trying to cut their teeth in internship roles, whether that's broadcast media or, 
social media or whatever that might be. So with that in mind, there were a few post-game interviews um, this past summer with the, the Falmouth Commodores where your teammates cited you as a part of their success. Uh, what can you tell us about a pitcher who might have cited talking to you about pitch usage ahead of a particularly good outing? Yeah. Um, I, I believe it was a guy we called Bud, um, Jacob, but he's big bud, um, lefty. Uh, he's been at a couple different schools. I couldn't recall exactly where he is now, but five pitch mix when he wants to, um, really, really good stuff. And essentially I'd see him throw two or three times and breaking ball is probably his best pitch. Like he had two slide and curve ball, fastball's decent. Um, and change up was sort of a, a backspinny pitch that didn't really separate from his heater, nor did it create swing or taking strikes. Um, and again, basically, <laughs> I'd seen him throw his change up for like two outings, probably like 10 times, and he hadn't thrown it for a strike once. He didn't really know where it was going. And I guess I, I just talked to him one day about, look, like this is where you're this is where you're getting weak contact. This is where you're getting swings. And you know you have control over this pitch and this pitch more than that changeup. So when the catch is throwing down changeup in in these hitters counts where you, well, or these counts where you need to get back towards like two strikes, you're behind, you need a strike, and you're throwing the pitch you have the least feel for. Um, it happened a couple times. He'd be in like a 2-1 or a 2-0 and we'd throw this change up and it just wasn't creating the chase that like an elite pitch would, nor was it, he, he wasn't throwing for strike. And I basically was like, look, I want you to like trust that change up and work on it. But at this point with where it's at right now, if you want to have the best success you can, it's going to be in counts where you might have more of a pitch to play with. Um, or yeah. Anyway, I kind of just discussed that with him because he was missing with it. And I don't think we were realizing that like he was losing hitters because he, go change up miss when he's already behind. And then it's like, hit a middle whack or hit a miss ball four. And it's like, dude, you need a pitch that is either going to create the swing, which is probably his slider or, um, or yeah. Anyway, that's long winded, but yeah, just sometimes like when you, I notice things, it's like finding the right time and the right place to talk to someone about it and just have a normal conversation. It's not like, uh, looking down on them all the way they're going about their business, but kind of just talking about like, Hey, like what makes you go to change up there? All right. Like I think this, and, and do you have feel for this pitch or this pitch better? Just having a discussion is really valuable. I think for teammates and I love when people do it back to me too. Like it's not just me, I guess. Yeah. I think that go- kind of goes back to the, the whole culture thing, right. Of like no egos and being able to have very honest conversations. I think, and this is something I've been on for the past couple of months. There's nothing more dangerous than a player who's self-aware. Uh, Cause a player who's self-aware knows what they're good at. They know what they need to work on and they know when to pull certain strings. You know, if you're in a game and you know, you know, the changeup's got good stuff. Right. But like, yeah, I don't have the feel for it. We're out here trying to compete and we're trying to win. Um, you know, good. And I think you kind of help bridge the gap for that player. That's what it sounds like. Uh, it's becoming a little bit more self-aware of like, look, like it's not saying like don't throw the changeup because the changeup's not any good. It's like saying like, hey, look, you keep working on the changeup, but in these moments, 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of open their eyes a little bit to like, Hey, this is going to be more effective. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're kind of in a unique position, you know, especially being the player that you are to be able to, you know, share that and, um, you know, it comes down to delivery and it sounds like you got your delivery just about right. So, uh, mm-hmm. people are willing to listen. I mean, that's, that's a really powerful skill to be able to elevate others around you. So, um, no, that's really neat. Thank you. Um, we talked about the receptiveness of the Oregon state coaching staff, um, and kind of the impetus behind all of that. Again, just want to, you know, throw it out there to, you know, tip of the cap to Oregon state's coaching staff for being open-minded. Um, but last couple questions here. So you shared some run splits before you headed to the Cape. Um, and that registered a load and speed score of 11 out of 12, which is truly elite. I mean, that's, you know, 0.1% uh, of high level players, not just 0.1% mm-hmm. in general. Um, mm-hmm. But base stealing's an art. It's not just about how fast you are. We've seen that repeatedly. Um, it involves instincts, pattern recognition, reaction. You were 50 out of 56 across your spring and summer uh, schedules in 2023, which is pretty damn good. What can you tell the people about a walking lead, how you discovered it, and how it took your base stealing to a new level in 2023? Because uh, you had 22 more bags in 2023 than 2022 playing in two fewer games, just Mm -hmm. the spring schedule. Mm -hmm. What do you got on this walking lead? It started in 2021 or the summer, the Australian summer of 2020 slash 2021 before I moved to the U.S. Um, my hitting coach in Australia was Rachel Balkovitz, who works with the Yankees now with the Tampa Tarpons. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but do you hear the news today? No. She got hired by the Marlins to be their farm director. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's well, that's a crazy coincidence. <laughs> coincidence. I brought her up today. That's, um, yeah. it's amazing. Fully deserved, like legit human being, legit baseball mind. Um, and I'll yet continue the story off of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're playing, I'm playing for the Sydney Blue Sox in the ABL and, uh, Rachel was working with the Yankees and I believe at the time, don't know if he still is, but the base running guy in the minor leagues was Matt Tellerico with the Yankees and he used to work in college baseball and he sort of, I guess was the guy for this walking lead and, and had actually wrote a book on base running and base stealing. And um, yeah, I talked to her about it, just regular conversations. And I had watched Anthony Volpe in the minors still 50, 60 bags. And I kind of looked into it and I was like, wow, like I didn't realize Volpe was so fast, but then I realized there was a strategy to it. And uh, lucky enough, Rachel um, showed, put me on this book um, by Matt Tallarico, which talked about the new, new school momentum lead, which some people across baseball calling it a vault lead, but, I just call it a momentum lead or whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, and I started to kind of dive into it. I didn't really do it that summer because it was sort of a weird thing to me. It's it, it's foreign at first. And then with the Corvallis Knights, um, when I first got to the U.S., 
I think I implemented a couple times, felt uncomfortable, sort of didn't have my confidence on the bases yet. Um, but again, didn't really utilize it well. And then freshman year, really didn't utilize it at all. Maybe, maybe just a little bit. Yeah, continued to watch video on guys doing it and see people having a lot of success with it. Just worked on it, worked on it, but um, maybe use it here and there, not often. And then I kind of looked back on my freshman year. I'm like, look, I'm now the like one of the fastest guys on our state, one of the fastest guys in the conference. Why am I not stealing more bags? Nor why am I not stealing bags easily off college catches? Like I need to figure something out. I need to figure it out. And uh, yeah, I I again reread this book, um, watched more video. Uh, and kind of committed to doing it. And I got to the fall sophomore year and I was just doing it. Like every time I got a base, I was trying to steal with the momentum lead and get the timing off our pitches. And they were like, all the old, all the pitches, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm not trying to pick you off in the fall. Are you going to get picked off? All this stuff. Like everyone sees it at first and they're like, this is stupid. Like, you know, watch out. It's, it's careful. Didn't get picked off once. Was stealing bags easier than ever. And I was like, this is real. And I'm starting to find the feel for it. And uh, again, I went to our coaching staff. I went to our coaching staff about using it. And it was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe it's not for everyone. Maybe, I don't know. Like you're good at it, but I'm not sure about it. And then, uh, yeah, season comes. I'm like doing it, doing good. But I hadn't really stole that many bags. And then one day I was... Rodney Green had stole like double as many bags as I had in the start of the Pac-12 season. And I texted him. I was like, what are you doing? Like, why, why, why are you stealing so many bags? And he said, dude, I'm just running. Like if the guy's not quick to the plate, I'm running. And that night I saw five bases against Seattle U and I just went from there. I just went from there. It totally changed my perspective. I started to like want it more without getting overly aggressive, but, just understanding that I've got the wheels to do it and I just got to trust it and get jumps. And I started to trust it more and, and go out and do it. And um, I had a lot of success. So, sorry. Uh, uh, it was, yeah, a, it built up over time and it took time for me to get good at it, but uh, I really bought in and now we teach it at school and we got a lot of guys kind of jumping on board, but again, it takes time. Sorry, I'm going to have to switch position really quick because my phone is going to run out of battery. Um, yeah. I get to a charger. Sorry. Yeah, I think one of the, the brilliant things about the package that is you is that, you know, you, you're like relentlessly curious. You're just out here, you know, utilizing every corner of your network. You know, if there's information to be sought, you're seeking it. You know, if there's yeah. a better way to do things, you're finding it. Um, and that's going to suit you really well, not just in baseball, but in life in general. Um, yeah. but that's really exciting, you know, moving forward. Cause it, you're a very adaptable human being. And I think mm -hmm. adaptation is a huge part of success in the game of baseball, but obviously, you know, success in life too. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah. walking lead momentum lead. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I saw a couple guys do that in big leagues this year when I started paying attention, yeah. but it's starting to come in a little bit. Um, some guys do it, some guys do it well, some guys don't, it's, 
again, it's just like other skills, like it takes time. It's not an easy thing. And people, because it's different, want to like shut it down really quick. They'll see someone get picked off and it's like, no, he just has, he hasn't, he hasn't worked on it yet. And if I'm like, I don't get picked off that way, like behind me, like it's, if I'm on, I'm, I can get back. Even if a guy's got a good pick, it's more, it just helps me. It's like, like he talks about car to stoplight that's fully stopped versus the car that's kind of rolling into it. It makes such a difference. And at the end of the day, the slowest step we take in running is the first two, one or two steps. They're the slowest, least explosive steps we take. So what that little momentum slash shuffle does for me is I'm my first step is essentially my third or fourth step speed because I have that kind of movement going into it. And so it takes away the slow steps. It takes away a lot of time in the process of stealing a bag. Self-awareness. Mm. to a T yeah all right last question and then uh, I'm gonna let you go here how are you handling the top five pick buzz after an outstanding spring you showed off on the cape uh we talked about that baseball media has whisked you away as a surefire top 10 pick and a potential 1-1 candidate uh, it's a much different game when the spotlight isn't on you and now it is where uh, is it? it? Might be the same game for you. Uh, do you feel any additional pressure headed into the start of the season with all of this buzz around you? Top five pick, potentially one one. No, I don't think I feel pressure. I think the biggest difference it's made is just having to navigate more people wanting to like. There's just more people talking and more people that want to talk to you and more people that want to spend time with you or like there's just a lot more noise and everyone wants to be involved once you're this like hyped up prospect. Um, and so, yeah, just finding time for the right people, the right, like the quality time with my family and friends. And um, yeah, I think that the group around me and the guys this year at Oregon State is like so quality and I so focused on, winning a national championship this, this year that I think that I'm in the mindset that I'm going to go out and want to, want to win and prepare myself as best to win every day. And the rest is going to take care of itself. And um, hopefully I can just be the best version of myself and people in terms of like scouting and hype, like understand what kind of person I am. And I just go out and play and that stuff takes care of, care of itself. Um, but really I don't, I don't feel too much pressure. I'm pretty confident in, me going out there and playing, playing the game I love. And uh, I think if I just pour into the guys in, on the field around me and focus on winning, then everything's going to fall into place. Yeah, I feel like you're pretty grounded and I feel like you're pretty focused on today as opposed to worrying mm -hmm. about what's going to go on, you know, months mm -hmm. from now, um, which is going to serve you well. And, you know, I, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to hop on here for an hour and 15 minutes and discuss this yeah there's so many good nuggets in here that you know it's gonna be shared with a bunch of young players and um i think they're gonna be able to take a lot out of this um but yeah on the the subject of you know dealing with pressure and dealing with media hype and buzz uh, i think the best player best amateur player I was ever around that was really good at dealing with or blocking all that out and just kind of being you know shrugging his shoulders and going about his business was bobby witt jr um and, and he turned out all right so um, yep. you know, definitely some similarities there just from, you know, having conversations with you. I don't think you're really overly focused on, 
you know, your status or your ranking or anything like that. I think you're, you know, still focused on, you know, even if people are talking about you one, one, it's like, well, how can, I'm not worried about going one, one. I'm worried about, you know, my first pro ball assignment being the best player on the field that day, you know? Yeah. I think it's just like over the last like, year, year and a half, I've become much more process oriented. And I always was, I always was, but like just even greater. It's like, yeah, like one, one might be a ranking or one, three or whatever. But like I'm taking the same, I take the same process to it as when I was ranked 25, 30. I would look at all the players ahead of me and I'd know I could name everyone. It's like, I'm going to be better than that guy. Why is he better than me now? I'm going to be better than him. I'm going to prove them wrong. Like I used to look at it that way. And now it's like, yeah, there's less people to look ahead of than that. But it's like, okay, why is, why is this big league better than me? Like what, what makes them able to slug the ball greater than me or whatever? Like it's just always looking for someone or something above me. As much as I'm present, I'm like, I use those things as, as fuel and motivation to keep growing. And I, I, the last thing I would want is to be complacent when I'm projected one, one, like that doesn't even matter. Um, that it's about going out and doing it and playing like I should. And it's not, it's not extra pressure. It's just like continuing to be self-aware and continuing to grow in every aspect and understand that this is just all a journey and not, like, it's not about right now. It's about building a future. Well, I love it. Um, I'm going to let you go. I know you got a team meeting coming up here. Uh, I can't wait. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just weeks away from the college baseball season. I can't wait for Oregon State to be on my TV, uh, yep. watch you take your walking lead, and hopefully hit a couple tanks and yep. uh, do your thing because it's just an absolute joy to watch. Um, can't thank you enough for for making the time. You know, obviously you got a lot going on and talked about how you block out your 24 hours and and making time for the right things and all that, but. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think everybody who's who's listening to this really appreciates you sharing a little bit of your mind. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, getting my hands on that latest project that you've been working on uh, about what a winning player looks like. Because, you know, I, I, I got to see. I got to see what's, what's yeah. like, come out of the kitchen. So, uh, yeah. Travis, thank you. Yep. No worries. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome.